Hello, everyone. This is Isabel Cortez, and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country, and at length found myself as the shades of the evening drew on within view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. And so starts Edgar Allan Poe's gothic short story, The Fall of the House of Usher. What this unnamed narrator was trying to illustrate to us in those iconic opening lines was the feeling of absolute dread and foreboding that could come from a house. That is the same feeling that the people of Venice, Italy feel when they pass by the Palazzo Dario, also known as Ca Dario, the house of no return. This 500-year-old Venetian Gothic palace has a notorious reputation for chewing up and spitting out those who dare and claim ownership over it. There are some who have lost their lives in the pursuit of happiness within the walls of Palazzo Dario. It is widely believed by locals that anyone who lives or stays there for more than 20 days ends up either committing suicide, committing murder, or going horribly bankrupt. Since the 15th century, this palace has claimed the lives of half a dozen people. Palazzo Dario is located between the Palazzo Barbaro Wolkoff and the narrow Rio del Teresel on the Grand Canal in the Sestieri of Dorso Duro in Venice. Its infamous tale begins in 1486, when the palace was remodeled for the patrician Giovanni Dario, who was a merchant, diplomat, and secretary to the Venetian Senate. Dario was so proud of his remodeled palace that when it was completed, he had the facade of the home inscribed with the phrase Urbis Genio Ioannis Dario, which translates to Giovanni Dario to the genius of the city. In his mind, the palace was his gift to Venice, his way of adding on to its beauty. Upon Dario's death, the palace was passed down to his daughter Marietta and her husband Vincenzo Barbaro, the next-door neighbor and a wealthy spice merchant. The couple had three children, all boys, their names varying according to different records. The only one that we do know much about is the eldest son, Giacomo, in large part due to his unfortunate fate. Because the family's domestic bliss was short-lived, Soon after establishing themselves in the palace, Vincenzo fell into financial ruin after several of the deals that he had made with some rather unsavory types went south. This resulted in the discovery of his lifeless body on the streets of Venice. Cause of death? A brutal and violent stabbing. Marietta, heartbroken and without her partner in life, committed suicide by tossing herself into the Grand Canal. The palazzo was then passed down to the Dario Barbaro sons, with Giacomo being declared the head of the family. However, Giacomo never got to settle into the palace, having been killed in crate by assassins not long after learning the news of his inheritance.
After the rapid deaths within the once prestigious Dario Barbaro family, local masons changed the anagram inscription on the building from Giovanni Dario to the genius of the city to I generate under an insidious ruin so that others could see that a curse had fallen over the once illustrious home. While Palazzo Dario stayed within the Dario family for more than 400 years, around the 1840s, the family decided to sell the property. That's when British scientist Roden Brown got his hands on it. Brown was a renowned scientist who had the home for a little more than four years. He was a quiet man, keeping to himself and rarely socializing with others. From 1838 to 1842, Brown lived in the palace until he began to suffer from extreme financial difficulties, much like Vincenzo Barbaro had. By 1842, the overwhelming stress of his economic state finished chipping away at him and he supposedly committed suicide within the palace walls. His partner was also found dead, the result of a murder-suicide. Soon after, American millionaire Charlie Briggs purchased the home. Venetian locals were concerned with Briggs' flippant attitude towards the rumors surrounding Palazzo Dario, fearing that his not taking the curse seriously would cause its fury to attack him tenfold. And in many cases, they were right. After almost a year of living in Venice, Briggs purportedly went bankrupt. This was in large part due to the fact that the Italian government had labeled him a persona non grata, or an unwelcome and unacceptable person. Why? Because Briggs was outed as a gay man who was living with his partner at the Palazzo Dario. Unable to sustain his life in Venice, and afraid of the violent fallback that might await him, he and his lover fled to Mexico. But the emotional damage had already been done. Briggs's lover committed suicide in Mexico, leaving Charlie to die penniless and, above all things, alone. And so, in its own twisted way, the curse of the Palazzo Dario had claimed another two lives. Perhaps all this death, sadness, and emotional ruin scared enough people to keep away from the Gothic Palace because for the first half of the 20th century, Palazzo Dario stayed vacant. It was during this period of silence that locals began to look deeper into the curse that supposedly rotted the home. Had it been brought on by the violent deaths of the Dario family? Or were they simply the victims of an already established curse? It is alleged that upon further inspection of local records, the palace had been built on top of an old Templar cemetery. During the 1486 remodel for Giovanni Dario, the foundation had shifted, making the house tilt visibly to the right. It was this disturbance of the foundation that caused the spirits of the deceased Templars to come out and exact their revenge. They were already furious, having their final resting place be tampered with to build something so grandiose, and this disturbance of the foundation was the final straw. The peace that had fallen over the walls of the Palazzo Dario was broken in 1946, when Mario Delmonico, a world-famous operatic tenor, began his negotiations to buy the palace. Having visited the home multiple times and immediately falling in love with it, Delmonico was only a signature away from being named the home's next owner. 
However, on his way to sign the final contracts, he was involved in a car crash in Venice that almost claimed his life. Mario Delmonico took this as a sign of the palace's curse and never ended up finalizing the sale. Delmonico would be one of the lucky ones, having barely skirted the curse that claimed the lives of his would-be predecessors. The same could be said about Kit Lambert, original manager of The Who, who bought the palace in the late 1970s. He was apparently so in love with the home that when the sale was finalized, he insisted on being referred to as Baron Lambert. Now, whether it was Lambert's rampant drug use or the actual ghost that so openly haunted the home, something in the then-acclaimed manager told him not to stay in the area long. According to Lambert's friends, he confided in him that he never slept at the palace, instead choosing to stay at a hotel across the street. On the rare occasions he did stay there, he was kept awake for hours by the incessant sounds of the spirits that roamed the halls. In the end, Lambert sold the palace and never looked back. Hello everyone, this is Isabel Cortez and welcome to another episode of Scary Stories for the Soul. During the whole of a dull, dark, and soundless day in the autumn of the year, when the clouds hung oppressively low in the heavens, I had been passing alone on horseback through a singularly dreary tract of country and at length found myself as the shades of the evening drew on within view of the melancholy house of Usher. I know not how it was, but with the first glimpse of the building, a sense of insufferable gloom pervaded my spirit. And so starts Edgar Allan Poe's gothic short story, The Fall of the House of Usher. What this unnamed narrator was trying to illustrate to us in those iconic opening lines was the feeling of absolute dread and foreboding that could come from a house. That is the same feeling that the people of Venice, Italy feel when they pass by the Palazzo Dario, also known as Ca Dario, the house of no return. This 500-year-old Venetian Gothic palace has a notorious reputation for chewing up and spitting out those who dare and claim ownership over it. There are some who have lost their lives in the pursuit of happiness within the walls of Palazzo Dario. It is widely believed by locals that anyone who lives or stays there for more than 20 days ends up either committing suicide, committing murder, or going horribly bankrupt. Since the 15th century, this palace has claimed the lives of half a dozen people. Palazzo Dario is located between the Palazzo Barbaro Wolkoff and the narrow Rio del Teresel on the Grand Canal in the Sestieri of Dorso Duro in Venice. Its infamous tale begins in 1486, when the palace was remodeled for the patrician Giovanni Dario, who was a merchant, diplomat, and secretary to the Venetian Senate. Dario was so proud of his remodeled palace that when it was completed, he had the facade of the home inscribed with the phrase Urbis Genio Ioannis Dario, which translates to Giovanni Dario to the genius of the city. 
In his mind, the palace was his gift to Venice, his way of adding on to its beauty. Upon Dario's death, the palace was passed down to his daughter Marietta and her husband Vincenzo Barbaro, the next-door neighbor and a wealthy spice merchant. The couple had three children, all boys, their names varying according to different records. The only one that we do know much about is the eldest son, Giacomo, in large part due to his unfortunate fate. Because the family's domestic bliss was short-lived. Soon after establishing themselves in the palace, Vincenzo fell into financial ruin after several of the deals that he had made with some rather unsavory types went south. This resulted in the discovery of his lifeless body on the streets of Venice. Cause of death? A brutal and violent stabbing. Marietta, heartbroken and without her partner in life, committed suicide by tossing herself into the Grand Canal. The Palazzo was then passed down to the Dario Barbaro sons, with Giacomo being declared the head of the family. However, Giacomo never got to settle into the palace, having been killed in Crete by assassins not long after learning the news of his inheritance. After the rapid deaths within the once prestigious Dario Barbaro family, local masons changed the anagram inscription on the building from Giovanni Dario to the genius of the city to I generate under an insidious ruin so that others could see that a curse had fallen over the once illustrious home. While Palazzo Dario stayed within the Dario family for more than 400 years, around the 1840s, the family decided to sell the property. That's when British scientist Roden Brown got his hands on it. Brown was a renowned scientist who had the home for a little more than four years. He was a quiet man, keeping to himself and rarely socializing with others. From 1838 to 1842, Brown lived in the palace until he began to suffer from extreme financial difficulties, much like Vincenzo Barbaro had. By 1842, the overwhelming stress of his economic state finished chipping away at him and he supposedly committed suicide within the palace walls. His partner was also found dead, the result of a murder-suicide. Soon after, American millionaire Charlie Briggs purchased the home. Venetian locals were concerned with Briggs' flippant attitude towards the rumors surrounding Palazzo Dario fearing that his not taking the curse seriously would cause its fury to attack him tenfold. And in many cases, they were right. After almost a year of living in Venice, Briggs purportedly went bankrupt. This was in large part due to the fact that the Italian government had labeled him a persona non grata, or an unwelcome and unacceptable person. Why? Because Briggs was outed as a gay man, who was living with his partner at the Palazzo Dario. Unable to sustain his life in Venice, and afraid of the violent fallback that might await him, he and his lover fled to Mexico. But the emotional damage had already been done. Briggs's lover committed suicide in Mexico, leaving Charlie to die penniless, and above all things, alone. And so, in its own twisted way, the curse of the Palazzo Dario had claimed another two lives. Perhaps all this death, sadness, and emotional ruin 
scared enough people to keep away from the Gothic palace, because for the first half of the 20th century, Palazzo Dario stayed vacant. It was during this period of silence that locals began to look deeper into the curse that supposedly rotted the home. Had it been brought on by the violent deaths of the Dario family? Or were they simply the victims of an already established curse? It is alleged that upon further inspection of local records, the palace had been built on top of an old Templar cemetery. During the 1486 remodel for Giovanni Dario, the foundation had shifted, making the house tilt visibly to the right. It was this disturbance of the foundation that caused the spirits of the deceased Templars to come out and exact their revenge. They were already furious, having their final resting place be tampered with to build something so grandiose, and this disturbance of the foundation was the final straw. The piece that had fallen over the walls of the Palazzo Dario was broken in 1946, when Mario Delmonico, a world-famous operatic tenor, began his negotiations to buy the palace. Having visited the home multiple times and immediately falling in love with it, Delmonico was only a signature away from being named the home's next owner. However, on his way to sign the final contracts, he was involved in a car crash in Venice that almost claimed his life. Mario Delmonico took this as a sign of the palace's curse and never ended up finalizing the sale. Delmonico would be one of the lucky ones, having barely skirted the curse that claimed the lives of his would-be predecessors. The same could be said about Kit Lambert, original manager of The Who, who bought the palace in the late 1970s. He was apparently so in love with the home that when the sale was finalized, he insisted on being referred to as Baron Lambert. Now, whether it was Lambert's rampant drug use or the actual ghosts that so openly haunted the home, something in the then-acclaimed manager told him not to stay in the area long. According to Lambert's friends, he confided in him that he never slept at the palace, instead choosing to stay at a hotel across the street. On the rare occasions he did stay there, he was kept awake for hours by the incessant sounds of the spirits that roamed the halls. In the end, Lambert sold the palace and never looked back. In 1968, Filippo Giordano delle Lanze, the Count of Turin, bought Palazzo Dario and set out to live his life there with his lover, Raúl Blasic. Little is known about the Count and his partner and how they spent their days. There are certain accounts that claim that they were a happy yet careful couple who preferred to stay home and relish each other's company without the judging and prying eyes of others. And there are others who claim that their love was volatile, with Filippo choosing to feign ignorance of Blasage's existence and Blasage only staying for the money and the lifestyle that being with the Count afforded him. Whatever the state of their relationship was, it all came to a head on July 19, 1970, when a housemaid found Filippo Giordano delle Lanze dead in his bed at 46 years old. His head had been smashed in. Raúl Blasic was immediately suspected of the crime. 
the motive was believed to be that he had asked the Count for more financial benefits, and when the Count denied, he killed him. Blossett fled Venice and was later violently murdered on the streets of London while on the run. The 1980s brought two different inhabitants to the Palazzo Dario, Venetian businessman Fabrizio Ferrari and his sister Nicoletta, and financier Raul Gardini in 1985. Ferrari and his sister would only own the home for a short number of years, leaving the palace for unknown reasons around 1983. Ferrari would later lose all his assets and die in a massive car crash. Nicoletta, for her part, never returned to the palace. Gardini then swept in and bought the home as a present for his daughter. After living in the home, however, it is purported that he suffered extreme financial setbacks, the severity of which he could never recover from. He moved from the palace, his dreams of leaving his loving daughter a beautiful home dashed. In 1993, he committed suicide in Milan. The last known inhabitant of Palazzo Dario was coincidentally John Entwistle, the original bass player for The Who. He rented the home in 2002, but after only a week there, he suffered a massive heart attack and left soon after. Since then, the palace has been turned over to a historical society in Venice, who renovated it and declared it a beloved landmark, despite local opinion. There were repeated talks of opening the home for tours, but plans never came to fruition, submerging the palace in deeper mystery. The house can currently be viewed from across the Grand Canal, opposite the boat stop at Santa Maria del Giglio. Despite all these tales of death, misery, and misfortune, there are those in Venice who would hope to dispute some of these claims and surround the once-renowned palace in light. They have made it their mission to debunk some of the more dramatic stories. First and foremost, the tale that started it all, the deaths of the Dario Barbaro family. A death certificate that claims to be that of Marietta Dario lists her cause of death as naturally occurring. It states that she merely died of natural causes at the age of 39, which is young to us but perfectly normal in the 15th century. There is zero evidence to support the claims of a suicide. There's also no evidence to support the claim that Giacomo was murdered in Crete. Rather, he was in Crete at the moment of his death. Giacomo, it seems, was also not Marietta's son, but a distant relative. Her actual son, Giovanni, died at the age of 80 of natural causes in Italy. As for the scientist Rodin Brown and his violent end, that seems to be a dramatization as well. Brown completely reconstructed Palazzo Dario when he bought it, which would account for his financial constraints. However, the talented Brit was anything but bankrupt. On the other hand, when the remodel was completed, he sold the palace in 1842 to a Hungarian count where he made his money back and then some. He spent the rest of his days at the Palacio de la Vida, where he died on August 25th, 1883, of natural causes. It seems that the only death related to Cadario is that of Count Filippo Giordani de la Lenz. His death was very publicly reported and did indeed take place in the home. It is rather telling that of all the stories to be true, it would be the most violent and tragic of them all. 
Whether you want to believe in the house that kills or not is entirely up to you. The people of Venice apparently already know all the truth that they need. Fishermen purposefully do not dock their boats near the palace for fear that the curse will transfer onto them. The story you're about to hear is that of two sisters who thought that they had found their dream Venetian home on the picturesque Grand Canal. Little did they know that the Palazzo Dario, the house of no return, had its own plans in store for them. When Isabella and Gianna lost both of their parents to the same debilitating illness only a month apart from each other, they decided that they could no longer stay in the same home that they had shared with their parents. There were too many bad memories, too many haunting images of sick beds, nurses, coughing in the dark and sweat-soaked bedsheets. Long gone were the loving memories, now replaced with the permanent sights of sickness and sadness. They set out to buy a new home to call their own, and in their exhaustive search came across a location that had only recently been released for public sale. The Palazzo Dario, a 15th century Gothic palace right on the Grand Canal. It was one of the most beloved jewels of Venice, the seller had told them, and they would be lucky to be living in Venetian history. Their parents had left them both sizable inheritances, and knowing that they could afford to live wherever they wanted, they jumped at the opportunity. The palace was beautiful. It was as if it had been trapped in a bygone era where people wore intricate gowns and handsome suits and balls were held on full moon nights. The only thing the sisters couldn't quite figure out was why it was being sold in the first place. They had been informed that it had been owned by a Venetian historical society with the full intent of opening it up to tourists, but the plans never went through. Why were they allowing it to be sold now for private use? No one was interested in the museum, so we were actually losing money by keeping it, the realtor had said, although the way her eyes darted around the main room at the palace made Gianna nervous. I can't imagine who wouldn't want to live here, Isabella said, twirling around the room. Gianna laughed at her sister, but the realtor's expression took a more serious note. Isabella stopped twirling and joined her sister. I must be honest with you, the locals believe the palace is... cursed. There have been several deaths within the home and a few unfortunate incidents. I personally don't place much stock in rumors, but the people around here certainly do. The sisters shared a look. Gianna prided herself in being a pragmatic person, Stories of ghosts and demons never made an impact on her. Her sister, however, consumed those tales as if they were gospel. She could see now, in her sister's wide eyes, the curiosity bubbling inside her. This place is haunted? she asked. No, no, of course not, the woman backtracked. It's just a local legend. Gigi, we have to buy this place. We were already planning on doing that. Gianna replied with a smile, although not for the supposed ghosts. It really is a beautiful home. The ownership papers were signed and finalized in the main room of the Palazzo Dario. Gianna and Isabella were officially its new owners. The realtor packed up her briefcase and quickly walked to the door. 
Gianna and her sister trailed after her, barely catching up to open the door. Before the woman stepped out, she turned to them and said good luck. Due to the Historical Society's preservation efforts, Gianna and Isabella didn't have to do much repair or rejuvenation to the palace. It had modern plumbing, electricity, and a kitchen that had only recently been finished. The only thing they really needed to do was pick their bedrooms and figure out what to do with the furniture that they moved out. This is good, Isabella had said. Ghosts are usually most disturbed during renovations. I don't think they'll mind us just rearranging some furniture. There are no ghosts, Gianna replied. I honestly think that those were just stories made up by the Historical Society in the hopes that it would attract American tourists. Then why didn't it work? Isabella asked. You heard the lady? No one came to the museum. Maybe they were bad stories, her sister said with a shrug. Maybe they weren't scary enough. Isabella rolled her eyes at her sister. Skepticism is one thing. Denial is a whole other. Gianna tried not to let her sister get to her, but when Isabella was out of the house on a food run, she did an extensive internet search of the house and its history. Unfortunately for her, the Palazzo Dario did have some bloody skeletons in its closet. Murders, suicides, bankruptcies, madness, and ghost sightings. They all littered page after page of historical accounts and eyewitness reports of the Palazzo. There was one lonely article that debunked the entire sordid history of the home, but even then, it was just one article. It was hard not to let the stories of tragedy get to her. She and Isabella were only two days in, and she was already starting to feel uncomfortable in the home. Closing her laptop, she decided not to tell her sister about what she had just found. She didn't want to scare her or taint their new home with silly superstitions. No. The less Isabella knew, the better. But the stories made it to her sister anyway. The first time they left their home together, they were bombarded by questions from neighbors and passers-by. They wanted to know if anything had happened in the house, and if they had seen or heard anything supernatural yet. Were they keeping safe? Had they blessed the home? Were they afraid? Isabella was happy to answer any questions that they might have. Gianna, on the other hand, didn't enjoy the intrusion and feared that someone might try and break into their home in an attempt to witness the supposed haunting themselves. She made it very clear to them that no, nothing had happened yet and no ghost sightings, no supernatural activity of any kind. They were not and would not be entertaining any guests while they settled in and that the house was equipped with state-of-the-art locks and surveillance equipment. But we don't have any of that, Isabella had whispered as they stalked off from their nosy neighbors. We will today, Gianna said, and set about buying everything they needed. Maybe she was being paranoid, setting up cameras inside of all of the uninhabited rooms, but she didn't want to be too careful. With a house as grand as theirs, someone could sneak in and make camp in a room and they would never notice. The first night that the cameras were engaged, something odd happened with the camera located inside of a small room that resembled a study. Gianna and Isabella were eating dinner, the security monitor projecting its live feed in the background, when the camera in the room went out, turning into nothing but loud static. What the hell? Isabella asked, 
turning around and touching the screen. The camera must have fallen off its mount, Gianna said, joining her. The feed stayed staticky for another 10 seconds, but then went live again. When it did, the entire room was in disarray. The antique desk was tipped on its side, books were littered all over the floor, the heavy wooden chair was across the room on its back, and there were papers scattered all over the floor. It was as if a tornado had blown through. The sisters couldn't believe what they were seeing. Together, they ran to the room and saw the disaster for themselves. It's freezing in here, Isabella said, noticing her breath come out in puffs. Gianna began to try and clean up the mess, but her sister grabbed her by the arm and pulled her out of the room. Let's wait until morning, she said. Gianna could hear the fright in her voice and agreed. The following day, things only got stranger. Isabella had the most horrible and vivid dream. She dreamt that she was married to a wealthy and handsome man. They were in love and had a son, and all was good with their world. And then suddenly, her husband was stabbed to death. She could feel his blood on her hands, feel his body go cold as he died in her arms. The pain in her heart was too much to bear, and so she threw herself out of one of the windows in the palazzo and went plunging into the Grand Canal below. She felt her lungs fill with water, and then just as she thought she was about to die, she woke up. When she shared the horrible nightmare with her sister, Gianna recounted how she had had the exact same dream. The sisters didn't want to talk about how that was possible. They just continued on with their day as if nothing had happened. After that moment, things only got worse. If either one of them was ever alone, they swore that they could hear voices coming from different areas of the home. It was a vast house with stone floors, so the voices would echo, making them difficult to ignore or rationalize away. On multiple occasions, they thought they smelled perfume in different rooms, and always the same scent, lavender and lemon. There were also the things that they were beginning to see on the regular. Glimpses of people out of the corners of their eyes, shadows caught on camera entering and exiting rooms, handprints embedded on the wooden furniture, or fogged up mirrors and windows, as if someone had just been breathing nearby. What got to them the most, however, was the sight of one man in particular. Isabella and Gianna both saw him, and as much as they tried to deny it, they knew that at least this spirit was there. He was a tall, young, dark-haired man who would have been handsome if not for the expression of absolute hatred on his face. Isabella first saw him in the reflection of her mirror as she was preparing for a friend's birthday party. He was standing mere inches behind her, one hand extended as if trying to reach for her neck. Isabella screamed and the vision immediately melted away, but she was left with a small bruise where his hand would have met her skin. Gianna saw him while she was cooking in the kitchen. She felt a chill run down her spine and sensed the presence of someone close behind her. It took all the courage she had to turn around, but right as she was about to, she was thrown forward, her face dangerously close to the open flame on the stove. Had she not had her hair up, she would have surely caught fire. Gianna screamed for help, 
gripping the countertops next to the stove tightly. And when she heard Isabella's footsteps running to her, the force let go. She explained to her sister that she had caught a quick glimpse of the same terrorizing, mysterious man right before she was thrown forward. The sisters were terrified. They didn't have to believe in all the spirits that haunted the home, but they did at least have to believe in him. Their first course of action was to get the house blessed, but unfortunately for them, no one would come out to perform the rite. They called multiple priests, but everyone was either busy, away on assignment, or promised to return their calls, which they never did. Out of desperation, they did an internet search for blessings that they could do on their own. They burged sage and palo santo, salted the windows and entryways, and placed glasses of holy water around the home. Then they decided that they needed to get out of the house for a while to clear their minds. They were confident that they had done enough and correctly to make sure that things were good from this point on. Upon arriving home, however, they were immediately assaulted with the smell of fire and ash. Terrified that they had left a burner on in the kitchen or that there might be an active fire in the house, they ran from room to room searching for the source but found nothing. Well, not nothing, just not what they expected. All around the house, the bundles of sage and stalks of Palo Santo that they had left out were burned and reduced to nothing but ash. The salt that they had spread on the entryways was burnt to black as well. But most disturbing were the glasses of holy water, which were pitch black and had congealed into slime. It was undeniable. Their house was haunted. But they asked themselves, was that a good enough reason to leave? Did they want to be known as the girls who left their beautiful historic home because of ghosts? The more that Gianna thought back on the articles that she had read, the more she knew she didn't want to be another name on the list of residents who had fled the Palazzo. She wanted to break the cycle. Ghosts be damned, that was her house now. She needed to find a way to make it livable for herself and her sister. Through one of Isabella's more paranormal-loving friends, they were able to get a hold of an American medium who was willing to go to the Palazzo Dario and help them in any way that she could. The woman, who dramatically went by Zelda, rang bells around the home, asked the spirits questions with dowsing rods in hand, and meditated quietly in each room for five minutes to better absorb the house's energy. When she was done with her assessment, she calmly said to the sisters, your house is haunted. They waited for her to finish, but when it looked like that was all she was going to say, Isabella threw her hands up, exasperated. We already knew that! Can you tell us how to get it unhaunted? Gianna asked. Spirits are complicated beings, she said in a cinematic medium voice. They just want love and compassion. They are more scared of you than you. Zelda stopped mid-sentence and her body slumped forward. She went limp with her head hung low. Isabella and Gianna held on to each other as her fingers started to twitch. Her body began to sway back and forth and her breathing became rapid. Finally, Zelda straightened and her eyes filmed over to a smoky gray color. This is not your home, 
a man's voice said. Who are you? Isabella asked. She immediately realized that the person standing before them was no longer Zelda. Filippo, Marietta, Rowden, the medium responded rapidly, each name spoken in a new voice. You have to leave, Isabella said desperately. You have to go and find peace. No peace, the voices shouted through the medium. This is my house. It sounded as if the different spirits who were inhabiting Zelda were struggling to gain control. The sisters held each other tight. Zelda, come back! Isabella shouted. You have to shut them out! The medium began to retch violently. In one fluid motion, she threw up black bile all over the stone floors and collapsed to the ground. Should we help her up? Gianna asked, stepping around the bile to make sure she was breathing. But then suddenly, Zelda stood up wide-eyed and shaken. That's never happened before, she said with tears in her eyes. I'm sorry, Gianna said. We're sorry. Are you okay? I have to go, Zelda said, collecting her things. I have to see a priest. Wait, what do we do? Isabella asked. You have to help us, Gianna shouted. Zelda turned to look at them. Run, she said. Get away. I heard their thoughts and they're so angry. You have to go. She ran out of the door, whispering prayers the entire way. Isabella and Gianna went about cleaning the mess in the room. Maybe we should leave, Isabella said. And go where? Her sister responded. Anywhere. Mom always liked Paris. We could stay at the peninsula until we find a new place. Gianna smiled at her sister. Maybe she was right, but she wanted to try one more thing. I'll tell you what, let's give it two more days. I think I have an idea. If my plan doesn't work, we'll leave. Deal? She asked. Deal, her sister said. Gianna's idea was to ignore any and all things paranormal in the home. When the cameras went out and wouldn't turn back on, she went and inspected the equipment. Every single camera throughout the home had been torn off its mount. Instead of becoming afraid or interacting with whatever did it, she threw the cameras in the bin and moved on with her day. When Isabella was watching television in her room and heard the distinct sound of crying coming from behind the door, she turned up the sound and ignored it. Drops of blood leading into one of the unused rooms, Gianna took a Swiffer to the mess and cleaned it up. Distorted voices coming from the radio in the parlor, Isabella shut the radio off and unplugged it. When they continued happening, she took the radio and threw it in the trash. But tension was building in the air. Something told them that their ignoring it was only making things worse and whatever was there was just biding its time. The following day, their theories were proven. Gianna and Isabella were getting ready to go out with friends. Isabella had gone into her room to change when a sudden heaviness fell over her. Her head felt foggy and her vision was turning hazy. 
She shook her head and squeezed her eyes shut, hoping to rid herself of the oppressive feeling. But when she opened them back up, and she looked around the room and everything was different. Her furniture was gone. In fact, all the modern appliances and devices in her room were gone. It looked as if it had on the first night they had moved in, with all the antique furniture still in place. Only now, it all looked sparkling and new. Isabella looked around, confused. When she caught her reflection in the mirror, she screamed, horrified. Staring back at her was the face of the ghost man that had been terrorizing her and Gianna. She scrubbed at the mirror, scrubbed at her hands and face, but there was nothing she could do to erase the image before her. Mr. Blossage? She heard a woman call out. There was recognition in the name, and in her head, she knew that the woman was speaking to her. She followed the voice out into the hallway and found an elderly maid. Yes? She asked. The Count would like to speak to you in his study. Isabella's heart beat rapidly in her chest, and before she could move, she found herself in the same study that had been thrown to disarray on the first night with the surveillance cameras. Raoul, I told you, I am not giving you any more money, a man in a high-backed leather chair said from the other side of the desk. Isabella looked at him and felt anger spreading in her chest, although she didn't know why. You said you would take care of me, she heard herself say. And I will, the man replied but I am not going to let you continue taking advantage of me. This relationship isn't about love anymore. It's about money, and I am not your piggy bank. Isabella looked at the tan man in front of her. His thick salt and pepper hair, his high cheekbones and strong chin. She could smell expensive cologne wafting off of him. She had a feeling that at some point, she had loved the man sitting before her but that feeling was gone. All she felt now was annoyance and anger. She blinked, and the vision melted away into another one. She was standing over the same man while he slept in his bed. There was something in her hand, something heavy and metallic, and before she could stop herself, she brought the object down hard on the man's head. She heard the breaking of multiple facial bones as she brought the weapon down hard each time with more and more force until her arms felt like lead. Finally, she stepped back and took a good look at what she had done. There was nothing left, only blood and bone and hair. In an instant, the mess began to shift, the bloody mess congealing together to form a new face. When it was done, Isabella looked down at the face of her sister. Put it down! Gianna cried. Isabella dropped the vase she had had in her hand and watched it shatter. The crash brought her back to her reality, and she found herself holding a large vase over her sister's cowering body. You were gone, Gianna said through tears. Your eyes. They weren't your eyes. I thought you were going to kill me. I'm so sorry, Isabella said, breaking down in tears. She told her sister of the horrible vision she had just experienced, told her about the murder she had witnessed, the one she felt she had just committed. 
Gianna made up her mind right then and there. They wouldn't spend another minute in that cursed home. They immediately packed up their clothes and left for Paris. Gianna and Isabella did return to the Palazzo, however. They took their time and packed up the home that they had once been so excited to start a new life in. They also took the time to speak to the ghosts in the home. We're leaving, Isabella said loudly. The house is yours. All we ask is that you give us enough time to pack in peace. And that's exactly what happened. It took two days to completely pack up the home, but in those two days, they were left unbothered. They traveled from Paris to Venice each time, flying three hours there and three hours back, since they had vowed never to stay another night at the Palazzo. Much to the public's surprise, though, they didn't sell the Palazzo Dario. They kept it and maintained it, but never opened it up to tourists or lovers of the paranormal. Once, a curious newspaper reporter found out that they still owned the building and requested an interview. He wanted to know why they didn't sell the building if they had no intention of living in it. It belongs to us in name only, Gianna had said. Its true owners are still roaming within its walls. We would prefer that they be left undisturbed, for their sake and for the sake of others. It was the last time that the sisters ever spoke about it. <laughs>